Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, and along with me on this journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. Bill, don't eat that. Huh? Don't you know that eating that stuff can give you very large breasts? Oh my God. I'm too late. Bill, I was thinking of the immortal words of Socrates who said, I drank what? That's right, listeners. Today's movie is a 1985 college comedy, Real Genius, starring Val Kilmer, directed by Martha Coolidge. This movie is rated PG with a running time of one hour and 48 minutes. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, this would be the description you would find on the back of the VHS box. It is what's on the box. Take it away, Jason. When a group of crazy college geniuses put their heads together, almost anything can happen. Hold on for a freewheeling, uproarious look at just how much mischief a bunch of high IQers can concoct. Chris, Val Kilmer, is the top brain who just wants to party. Mitch, Gabe Jarrett, is the 15-year-old whiz kid, and Laszlo, Jonathan Grease, America's number one brain, literally lives in a world of his own, Chris's closet. Supposedly hard at work on a lab project, they still find time to turn the dorm into an ice skating rink, dismantle a nerd's car and reassemble it in his room, and throw a beach party in the auditorium complete with a lagoon and bikini-clad beauties. When the geniuses discover that their unscrupulous mentor, Professor Hathaway, William Atherton, has had them working on a secret weapon for the military, they plot an elaborate revenge. Their plan culminates in an incredible scheme that outsmarts the military and convinces the professor that it doesn't pay to fool with real genius. Wow. And that was what's on the box. Wow, indeed. Jeez, I almost gave away half the plot of the movie. <laughs> yeah, almost almost too thorough. Yeah, exactly. That was very thorough. What's on the box? All right, so uh, let's move on to our earliest memories of Real Genius. Jason, why don't you start us off? My earliest memory, Bill Band, is that I freaking love this movie. That's my earliest memory. This man, all time, feel good, great movie. I get all fuzzy inside when I, you know, think about my earliest memories of this movie. You know, I didn't see it in the theaters. I was about 12 years old when it came out. I saw it later on cable. Obviously, first and foremost at the forefront is Val Kilmer in this film. And I remember I was this, he was a revelation to me as in the way that I had was seeing a new side of him. I only really knew him from Top Gun. I'm a big George Lucas fan. So I was a fan of his portrayal of Mad Mardigan in Willow. And I had no idea about the comedic stylings of Val Kilmer. So I had to go back and watch Top Secret and, of course, this film, Real Genius. And I remembered his quick-witted quips, the one-liners. This movie is chock full of quotes, one of the most quotable films from the 80s. Uh, I remember a whining, uh, sobbing Mitch, and he was quite good in this, actually, I think. Uh, but I remember the laser tech, Kent, talking to Jesus and just cracking up about that. Laszlo, one of my favorites, Jonathan Grease, who is my hey, it's that actor from Running Scared. 
uh, Laszlo in this, when he was just like this kind of a, like strange, nerdy creeper uh, retreating into the closet in their dorm room and disappearing. The nerd culture, fun, 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 man. Earliest memories is just that this movie is just all about the fun, the college experience. William Atherton as Professor Jerome Hathaway, Jerry Hathaway. William Atherton, man, I definitely think of him when I think of this movie. It's one of the, you know, my early memories is he's just a dick. He's just a, oh man, he's such a great asshole. He is. And of course, you can't think of William Atherton and not think of Die Hard. You just can't. So I also associate him with this film in particular. Uh, and I'm sure you'll bring up another movie that he's well known for. But uh, and then the finale, the popcorn, Tears for Fears. Everybody wants to rule the world. You can't listen to that song and not think of Real Genius. So those are my early memories, Bill. Uh, and they're all fond, to be honest. Uh, all I can say is Real Genius is fun. Makes me feel great. I love watching it. I've watched it a million times. Earliest memory was just how great I felt after watching it the first time. And just what I, what I, I just really felt it was a great discovery. What do you got bill as far as earliest memories? For me will always stand out is the picture of Val Kilmer wearing that. I love toxic waste shirt. (laughs) I just remember that shirt. And it's funny because, and I'll get into this in when we get to the box office report, August, of 85 was really the month of teen science films because you uh, had this weird science and my science project all came out science. at the same time. Yeah. yeah. They all came out at the same She's time. And the sad thing is of those three movies, the one I wanted to see the most was my science project, which is oh, a that's piece funny. Of, yeah. Which is a piece of crap. And, and, <laughs> And I didn't see any of them in the theater. And I remember going to rent my science project and I went to the video store and they were out of copies, but they had real genius there. And I just, because of Val Kilmer with that shirt, I was like, all right, let me check this out, I guess. And yeah, I loved it. This is a feel good movie for me. I pop this movie in at least once a year. Good call. Yeah. It's a go-to definitely feel good. Go-to. And like you were saying too, with everybody wants to rule the world. I love that song with this movie. And every time I listen to this song, it does remind me of school. Just the way that it ended with all of them together and just like that feel good. They're all buddy, buddy. It so reminds me of college because it just makes me remember my friends and all the fun times that we had and stuff like that. And I use that song all the time for when I do work events. That is always my final song. If I'm in charge Uh. of the music, that is the last song I play. So if you're ever at an event, for some reason, the last song you hear is Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I am probably there because I'm the one that's playing it. I love that song. I listen to it all the time. It is probably one of my top 10 favorite 80s songs. Oh, great. Yeah. And Tears for Fears. Great 80s band. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did see them in concert. Ooh, maybe like right before my daughter was born. They, they were at the OC Fair. Nice. And I, and I went. Yeah, it was it was cool. Yeah. So, um it was a good concert. That was great. And when they played the song, I was just, I just love it. I just, every time I hear it, I'd say, just stop everything you're doing and just listen to the song. I love yeah. it. Wonderful. But yeah, the movie itself. Um, yeah. Same thing with you. Definitely the popcorn at the end. You can't forget that. Uh, just the whole thing with the laser, when they blow the laser through the campus and just, there's just so many one-liners. I mean, it just never stops. 
And yeah. I, I really love the music in it. You know, a couple of episodes we were talking about the um, Mandela effect. And every time I watch this movie, and I know this song is not in here, but I'm, I'm always positive there's a song from The Fix in this one, like Saved by Zero. I don't know why. I always think that because it, it almost has that same feel as the songs in here. So right. every time I watch it, I'm expecting to hear the song and I don't hear it. I'm like, what happened to the song? I'm like, no, Bill, it is not in this movie. I mean, I've seen this movie 30 times and I still always want that song to be in there. But yeah, yeah, I love it, though. That's interesting how you make that association. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I always feel like it's one of the montage scenes. But yeah, it's not. But they have two great montage things in there and a fun little slice of college life that they do. I love too. yeah, because I always remember the one room where everyone has recorders. Like it starts off like half the class has recorders. And then all the class, and then even the teacher sells a recorder. Yeah, I always remember that scene. That's always kind of funny. Was, is it, was that something you ever did? Did you ever tape any of your classes? I've seen that in a couple different films, and I understood that people would do that. I don't recall ever actually doing it myself. I think I knew myself too well to know that I would never listen back to the tape, okay. that it would just be a waste of time. I, I don't think I ever did it. But it makes sense. I, I, I mean, I get it. You know, just walk in press record on the tape recorder and walk out. You're good. But yeah, I, it's an efficient way to do it. Yeah. I, I, it's funny and it works in the middle the, the movie. I thought, uh, but uh, I, how about you? Had you done it? I would have it where I would have it with me, but I wouldn't leave the class. I was just oh, using it as a sense. reference. It's, yeah. yeah. It's your backup. Yeah. So if backup. you didn't get all the notes or if you missed something. Yeah, exactly. But no, I never did it where I would, bring the recorder, put it on the table and then walk out. No, I, right. I wouldn't do that because God knows that the recorder would still be there when I got back. So no, that's not something that I did. And I read in the research that that actually happened as in not just students doing it, but in an, a professor at one point had actually done it, had set up a, an actual lecture that was presented playing a either, you know, some sort of audio or, uh, but it may have been a tape recorder or a cassette player. That would be interesting. Yeah, no kidding. No, but I think the funniest thing I did with class was I had a literature class. I think it was my junior year, and it was at 9 o'clock in the morning. And I, I was not a morning person, so I didn't really hate it that I had a 9 o'clock class. But she also had a 12 o'clock class. And she was like, I teach the same thing in 12 o'clock class. So if you want to do 12 instead of 9, that's fine. I'm like, perfect. I'm going to go to 12 o'clock class. And I thought for sure, like, oh, half the class could be like me and show up at 12. But I was the only one that went. And so the whole semester, I went to the 12 o'clock class. And then she was like, for the final, you have to go to the class that you originally signed up for. So I was like, oh, okay. <sighs> so sure enough, for the final, I walk in the 9 o'clock class. And some kid literally was like, hey, you haven't been here since the first week. What are you doing here? And I'm like, she said we can go to the other class. That's what I've been doing. So I think, uh, right. yeah, half the class was shocked. They're like, who's this guy all of a sudden showing up out of nowhere to take the final? But that's really funny, man. You know, that's college life. I think this film does capture the university slash college experience pretty well from that freedom aspect. That's just kind of what it, I think part of the feel good aspect of this movie is just the freedom that it, it, it kind of provides in just that that feeling of I am now moving into a stage of independence and I'm figuring out who I am, what I want to do. And these are the friends that I want to surround myself with. And that this movie does it so way. And you bring, you brought up the fact. Now here's the other thing is like, we talk about coming of age films in the eighties and typically we're talking about high school films 
And this is actually a college film. For some reason, forget about that. I, you know, this film even opens with Mitch basically, you know, coming out of high school and, and going into college. And we understand that Chris Knight, played by Val Kilmer, is a senior in college. So there isn't that strict kind of teen angst, like high school. This is more of, wow, you've got the whole world at your feet here. And yeah, some of the rules are a little bit more lax and it's up to you to figure out your own path. There's not as many people telling you what to do. Although in this film, you have Professor Hathaway kind of breathing down their necks, I should say. But I think this film is a little bit different in that way, where it's a, a it's an 80s teen comedy, but it, in the college years. And the fact that it's a PG college mm. film is amazing, too, because you think college film, you're thinking all this TNA kind of stuff, and they don't really, sure. you're not concerned about any of that stuff. You don't actually need it for this film. And I right. think another thing you were talking about, just the college life, too, watching this was like how much they don't spend outdoors. Everything's in a classroom or in the dorms or in their study environment. And I think in a way that kind of captured college life a lot more than you would perceive it to be. Cause usually we watch the, you know, they're always outside, they're always partying, they're always doing this stuff. And it's like, I mean, these are geniuses. These are people that are way smarter than you and I combined, but I almost felt like in a way it did touch on college life a little bit more than other films that you've seen almost seemed a little bit more realistic. Right. I think that's an interesting take. And I agree with you. A lot of college films you're dealing with fraternities, sororities, the parties, like you said, there's going to be a lot of sexuality and recreational drug use, a lot of drink and all that. And this is more about the bonding experience through their, uh, the, the dorm life. Right. And, and going to class and trying to accomplish their school projects together as a team. And as yeah, it's funny, yeah, now we, you know, it's, it's interesting just thinking about that because um, I think part of it, the reason why it's such a feel good at the end, you feel so good, not only because of the Tears for Fear song, you've got kids playing in a giant pile of popcorn, the good guys save the day but they have all come together as a team and they're all still together in a wholesome fashion. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, the, these are just kids that figured out a way to do this without hurting anybody. We'll get into some, maybe when I get into some of my issues where I think there's actually, there's some real danger here. That oh yeah, pretty, exactly. That's there pretty is. reckless, but all in all, we understand the spirit of the movie. I, you know, there isn't uh, nobody has any real malintent here. To hurt anyone, at least physically. So, yeah, it's just because they don't rely upon a lot of the common tropes in coming of age, teen comedy, high school slash college films in the 80s. It stands out maybe a little bit more yeah. because of that. Yeah. The one thing I think I was way more surprised was their dorm rooms. Yeah. All the scribble, <laughs> that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, sure. Wow. Do they actually do that? I wonder if there, I don't know if there is a college that actually lets them scribble all over the walls like that. According to the research, we may get into it a little bit more, but this was heavily influenced by actual dorm life experiences uh, at Caltech, Pasadena, California, where I actually lived right around the corner from for 16 years. Wow. I've been on that campus. I have not witnessed the dorm life. It's a beautiful campus, actually. 
a lot of photography takes place there. A lot of filmmaking takes place there. But um, Martha Coolidge, our director, spent a lot of time with, they were actual Caltech students as extras in this film. And they were the technical consultants. They wanted to be very much be a part of this. But it is based on one of the dorms. Um, I think it's called Dabney something anyway um, at Caltech. So supposedly this is close to real life. Yeah. Another interesting thing about the movie, because the story is really supposed to be about Mitch. Who right. Comes in from high school to work on this project. Yeah. He's 15 years old. Yeah. He's 15 years old. And then really all the advertising is Val Kilmer. It's Val Kilmer's movie. I just watched the trailer before we started recording tonight. Hilarious. The entire trailer focuses on Val Kilmer. Oh, yeah, exactly. It, it almost completely ignores Mitch, mm-hmm. who is really the central character of the film. Yeah. You're watching an ensemble cast take their journey and watch their entire arc. But, I mean, he's at the center of everything. That being Mitch, not Chris Knight. Exactly. But the trailer makes it seem as though it's Chris Knight's movie. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Gabriel Jarrett's performance in that. I kind of found it uneven. Like, I like the first half of it where, like you said, he's kind of taking you through this journey and meeting all the characters and just how he's working off of them. But then once this scene where they record him call his parents yeah, and they play it back and then he's going to leave and it's a moral imperative, he comes back. Once right. he tries to do the comedy stuff, I thought he failed big time. I thought the second half, I thought it was like a steep dive for him. And I thought he was the weak link at that point. I gotcha. Sure. Whereas in the beginning, I kind of liked being on the journey with him to see through his eyes how college was. Because at that time, I I hadn't gone to college yet either. So it was just kind of interesting to see how this all works for someone that's underage. But yeah, once he tried to be silly and that kind of stuff, every time I was just like, oh, yeah, not, not working. Not working. Hence, right. Val Kilmer and everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Like you can go through almost every character in this movie and they have like a line associated with them. Whereas Mitch, I'm kind of like, yeah, what is your signature line? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he repeats lines back to Chris about the moral imperative, but he doesn't, does he have his, his real moment? Besides like, can't stop playing with yourself, but then even that's over modulated and just pretending he's Jesus. So, right. Which is freaking hilarious. <laughs> but even when he delivers that one line where they take Kent's car and they put it in the dorm room and they're like, Kent, you're not supposed to have that car on campus. You know, they're just yeah, the you're not allowed it. to park on campus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh man. Take yeah. It's not his forte. That's not, no. he's not, that's not his strength. Fair enough, because I think he plays the youth very well. I I believe the actor Gabriel Jarrett, or I think he's credited as Gabe Jarrett in this, uh, was actually only 14 or 15 when they shot this. So he was the appropriate age, and he played the youth, and just kind of that wide-eyed fish out of water, holy shit, this is all coming at me really fast, and having to deal with Chris Knight as his mentor, who's just off the rails. And the ex- extreme opposite of him, not to mention significantly older, which I want to talk about, too, is that there seems to be a larger age gap just looking at them physically. That's my take. I've always kind of had that in the back of my mind, because I believe 
if my math is correct, Val Kilmer was about 25, 24, 25 when they shot this. And so there's about a 10 year difference between the two of them, but there's already supposed to be a significant age gap because Mitch is supposed to be this young phenom and he's book smart. He's a, he's a young nerd and he plays that well, but you're right. They should have just let, you know, the comedy should have just been left to the other actors. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And then you watch Mitch go on more of a dramatic arc. Yeah, because even the scene where he's well, he's pretending he's Jesus. I was like, shouldn't he have let one of the other guys do that just because they they're quicker? Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand because he, he's technically the central character. You should have him do it, but I see what you're saying. You mean within the context of the story? Yeah, mean, as like as his char- his character wouldn't be the one doing that. It would you would think Chris Knight would be the one exactly. Because he's a little more quick-witted, clever, on his feet, right, and, and can shoot from the hip kind of thing, versus Mitch, who just comes off a bit more nervous, yeah, a lot of the time, or even more soft-spoken. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that for sure. But that's about as critical as I'm going to get about this movie. I'll tell you that much. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's funny. It's hard to really. I mean, we'll have fun picking it apart, getting a little nitpicky, but overall, it's just such a feel-good movie. You don't. There's a lot of forgiveness that you just kind of overlook things and you're just, you just go with it because it's so funny. I, I, it is. And I want to live, I live through this film vicariously. Like I want to live in that, in some of these scenes with these characters and enjoy the freedom that they're enjoying and the youthfulness, you know, you got your whole life to look forward to and the possibilities are endless and you just have, you start meeting like-minded people and you gravitate towards them. It was like that in Eaton at the university of Miami, right. In our dorm. Oh yeah. I mean, beer and bond marathon, you know, we just, we were film students and we gravitated towards one another for different reasons. And you're like, Hey, come on over. We're going to play a little drinking game, have some beer and watch some James Bond. And I'm like, I'm all about James Bond. I'm all about beer. Let's do it. We start talking about movies. I mean, we had connected before that moment, but I mean, it was sort of, it was those types of things that did occur within dorm rooms. There's people that you knew, uh, were there for the same reason you were and had in- similar interests. And then you start not only gravitating toward each other, but now you are moving in the same direction as a group together and you're supporting one another. And that just uh, seals the bond even more. It's cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. To- That's what I loved about my uh, sophomore year. Cause my freshman year, like most of the people I made friends with, a majority of them didn't come back sophomore year. So I, in a way I almost had to start over, but luck would have it. It seemed like everyone that was put on my floor that second year, mm-hmm. even though we're, we all had different backgrounds or different studies, we were all in the same group where like, we were all broke. We never had anywhere to go. So it's just like, we're just going to hang together. And we just had enough in common that, we just stuck together the whole year and we just had so much fun. So I had such great times and, you know, they're all still my friends to this day. Right. It's just the amazing thing about college life, how you just get thrust in with these people. You don't know anything about them and just learning about them and just going through all these things. It's just, it's just amazing. I mean, some of mine talked to forever, but I'm sure if I saw him tomorrow, we would just sit down and just, you know, swap stories about yesteryear. And that's, I think that's one of the things I love. And I hope when my kids are old enough, to go to, they go away to college and not do the um, like local community college. Yeah, exactly. Sure. No, Which no. Is, there's nothing wrong with the, the no, co- no, no, those no, colleges no. themselves. But you mean just to get out and experience yeah, uh, life. 
a different, yeah, just a different locale. Yeah. Different people, different culture. This is one of the things I, I love about it. And then going back to the movie, this is one thing that gets me every time I watch this movie too. I can never remember what the first scene of this film is. Cause I always get thrown off by the crossbow scene. I'm glad you brought that up because that's, I, that's what I, I, before we even delve into favorite scenes, I had some general comments and that's my first one. Is it crossbow? Is it Chris's introduction or is it Mitch's introduction? It always throws me off every time I see that crossbow scene, but I understand why they do it. Sure. But yeah, it gets me every time I'm like, what? Oh yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. They're starting out with the crossbow. I totally forgot about the crossbow scene. I totally forgot about the opening credits. I didn't uh, know how this film began, Bill. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm watching the film begins. Great song, by the way, on the soundtrack. The name of the song is You Took Advantage of Me by Carmen McRae. And you are just seeing that this is like old school. Like you don't see movies like this anymore, where it's just the credits are rolling with images in the background and you are the film doesn't officially begin until the credits are over. Yes. And that's how this film begins. It's a great song. You have these blueprints or drawings, these ancient drawings of uh, weapons as they kind of evolve over the generations. It's it's kind of cool. It does play a little bit into the theme of uh, one of the themes of the movie, uh, one of the storylines. But you you see the credits unfold. I'm like, this is how this movie begins. This is that I I honestly thought I had rented the wrong movie because I watched <laughs> it on YouTube. Excuse me, I didn't. I watched it on a free preview of Hulu. Thank you, Hulu. And I was like, did I click on the wrong thing? Is this, what, what, oh my God, this is how it begins. And then it goes into the crossbow scene and it feels like I'm watching a sci-fi movie. Exactly. And I'm like, where, what is happening right now? This, where's Val Kilmer? And uh, it's this, you know, under this covert CIA meeting, like this black ops kind of thing. And it's all, I'm like, what is that? And I don't remember any of this. And I was like, well, yeah. Probably because I drank too much beer in college. Uh, no, I don't know. Um, but so, that, but that yeah. opening's great because it throws you the, off a little bit. Yeah, the credits and that song really do tell you what this movie's going to be about. Yeah, it, it's kind of brilliant, but it, you don't realize the brilliance until after the movie's over and you watch it again. You're like, oh, wait a second, because you don't usually pay attention to credits. You're just like, I'm just in a song. Let's just get to the movie. And then when you really watch it, I mean, this time I was really watching. I'm like, oh yeah, it's the evolution of weapons. Until now, this is cool. Yeah. The fact that Dr. Hathaway is basically, he's taking advantage of all of our protagonists from the get. Yeah. Throughout the entire movie. So that was interesting. The opening credits and the opening scene for me, I had blanked on completely. I was like, it was like a brand new movie for me on this uh, rewatch. Also, one thing that this movie made me realize is that anytime I see someone drop all of their papers, like they're trying to get, you know, rushing to class. Oh yeah, they drop their books or papers go everywhere. Or if there's a scene where someone gets upset and they decide to push all the paperwork and notebooks and things off of a desk, like shove it all like out of a fit of rage. Yes, it gives me anxiety, Bill. I don't Is know it why. Really? I get anxiety. I get. I'm like that takes a lot of work to put those papers together and organizing. And I was just, I was always maybe it's my OCD when it came to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's like, can you imagine having to reorganize all that crap? And especially if you're going to class and you're in a hurry, like trying to get to an exam on time or something like that. All your notes are in order. Oh, yeah. Man, kids don't have to deal with that today. No, huh? that's true. You just slam their iPhone down. So that's my little self-discovery from watching this movie this time. It's like, I can't stand it when 
characters do that in movies and they shove everything off onto the floor or drop all their papers. It drives me nuts. I'm like, oh man, that's, I feel terrible for that guy. I want to help him pick it up. That's what Laszlo does. He helps, he helps Mitch get his papers. Oh, I know. I actually want to go out because I think they shot that got two different colleges out here. One's a Occidental College and one's a Pomona. Okay. And I want to go out there and just find that spot where Laszlo helps Mitch with the book. We could. I drive by there all the time. Yeah. I want to get a picture of myself there. So here I am. Real genius. <laughs> and you need to find that you have to wear the T-shirt. I love toxic waste. All right. So let's move on to uh, favorite scenes. So, Jason, what do you got the four favorite scenes of this film? Or moments. Or moments. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's tough because this movie moves really quickly because there are so many one-liners and so many great quotes. And we'll probably, you know, bring those up at random points. It's hard to remember all of them. There's so many. But uh, for me, it's speaking of introductory scenes because I had forgotten about the opening credits and then the crossbow scene. It's Chris Knight's introduction in the film. And we understand that Chris Knight is a senior at Pacific Tech College. And he is a phenom. He's a genius, obviously. And he is about to graduate and has already has a job lined up. And the scene is where he's being courted, basically, and given a tour by the people that are giving him this job at the science facility. And I love the introduction because you it establishes his character immediately, immediately. He is hilarious. He's got great presence and comedic timing. Val Kilmer is wonderful because you're introduced to him. He's wearing the I love toxic waste t-shirt. It literally, it says, I heart toxic waste. He's wearing the headband with the like alien. If you can imagine, uh, if you're listening to this, the balls are on top of like these wiry things. It's like the alien antennas, but with the balls at the top and they're flailing about. And he looks like a freaking goofball. And he's going basically on a tour with these, you know, this guy in a suit who's trying to be very professional. And he's the opposite. One of my favorite things that I always forget that made me laugh out loud is when they go into the actual facility, they walk up to the glass doors and the guy that's giving him the tour opens the door for Chris Knight and Chris Knight doesn't walk through that door. He pushes the other door, like in total disrespect of the guy opening the door for him. Just the most un- impolite thing to do. And it's hilarious. You're like, okay, this guy's irreverent. I get it. And then it just starts in with the one-liners. And they pick up on the fact that he's irreverent because the line, all brains, no penis. There's the line where they say, you are Chris Knight, right? And he says, yeah, I hope so. I'm wearing his underwear. I mean, it's stuff like that. It's just, but the way his delivery and the timing, like I'm certainly not doing it justice it's great. It's a great setup for his character. We know exactly who he is. So I love that scene. And I love how it ends where we meet Sherry, who's been after the smartest guy. And just even the first thing he says to her is like, do you think I came off too stuffy? It's just great. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this too. I'm like, I think Ryan Reynolds must have studied this film because Ryan Reynolds Good call, is Chris Knight. That's who he is. Ryan Reynolds is Chris Knight. Absolutely. I, you know, and I was trying to think if I knew anybody in my life that was like this, who was on all the time, if you know what I mean? Like exactly just on as if that is his personality is he's performing all the time, mm-hmm. but it is not necessarily a facade. It's he's just that freaking clever. 
and just witty. And just that's who he's just freewheeling all the time. And you nailed it. Ryan Reynolds is that guy. And I love Ryan Reynolds. I love him for that. That's who he is. He's just quick on his feet and he doesn't take anything seriously. Anything. I would find that tiring to be on like that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I love that scene. And I'm glad you brought up uh, the character Sherry Nugil, whom is introduced in this scene. She comes into play later on and he has a nice interaction with her because she's a little bit of an older professional woman, a very sexy woman. She uh, you can see she's almost coming on to Chris Knight in this scene because she has a thing for guys with brains and they have a a fun interaction and again, witty and quotable, all that good stuff. So, yeah, it's just a great way to, to start our adventure with Chris Knight. And it was funny because I was counting. I'm like, okay, she said she met seven out of, oh, okay. So she does meet eight, nine, and 10 in this movie. So mm-hmm. being uh, Chris, Mitch, and Laszlo. So that's kind of cool. So it's like, right. okay, she did meet her top 10. Yeah. I wasn't sure whether one guy died if uh, someone someone got bumped up to 10 <laughs> instead. Right. What is that? That's one of the funniest parts because she's basically alluding to the fact that she's hooked up with seven out of the top 10 minds in the country. Yes. And- this was kind of a question. I don't know if it's answered or not. Does Chris actually hook up with her in this beginning? He kind of follows her up the stairs to finish the tour. I don't know if that actually happens. Regardless, she does bring up uh, a name of, I forgot the gentleman's name, but Chris Knight is like, oh, Dr. Such and Such, didn't he pass away? Yeah. Or uh, isn't he dead or something like that? And she says, he is now. Yeah. And just <laughs> something the, yeah, to that effect. Look, yeah, it's a terrible look. And he's like, oh, ooh, oh, boy. <laughs> I wondered about that, too, because, you know, she does end up on the campus, but we don't really ever see them together again until the very end. And they don't seem to acknowledge each other like they've ever met before. So I was kind of like, did they? I assume did they, they or did. didn't they? Yeah. I assume they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, do you have I've got a couple other scenes here that are my favorites. But uh, it's your turn, Bill Bant. No, what do you going. got? No, keep going. Okay. All right. All right. So we come to understand that Chris Knight and Mitch, what's Mitch's last name in this? Please remind me. Mitch Taylor. Thank you. So Chris Knight and Mitch Taylor are roommates. Chris Knight is going to be Mitch's mentor. And they are very different people. And uh, come to find out, they actually share this dorm with a third person, the mysterious Laszlo, who keeps walking into the closet, Chris's closet on his side of the dorm room and disappearing. And Mitch is like, what the hell? Who is this guy? He comes in, he stares, he's awkward, he's creepy. And he just goes into this closet, disappears. And so Mitch keeps going in there trying to figure out where, where does he disappear to? He knocks on the panels within the wood closet. He's trying to find the secret door And finally, he figures out he goes into the closet, closes the door behind him, and all of a sudden, the door slides back, and it reveals this hidden passageway. He climbs into this small metal car that takes him down this railway that leads into this underground uh, lair underneath the dormitory. And this is Laszlo's lair. And Laszlo, we find out, was a phenom himself back in the 70s, and he cracked under the pressure of, of school and whatnot because he devoted his life to to the books and to, to being the best. And uh, he succumbed and now he lives still at the school, but in this underground lair. And that's one of my favorite scenes because it's just kind of lends itself to mystery 
and Discovery, and it's cool. And we just are like, who is this Laszlo guy? How is he going to play a part in this movie? And watching Mitch discover, because there's things that I find attractive about the scene. First of all, Bill Bant, you can't go wrong with a secret door. Right. I am a big fan. Anytime oh, yeah. any movie has a secret passageway, a secret door that slides back, a closet. I mean, you can't go I mean, Indiana Jones, Last Crusade has the revolving fireplace, any of that stuff where there's a switch, stuff like that. So you got me. I'm in. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And it, and it's fun because here's this kid who's just, again, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed trying to put the pieces together and try to figure out what's going on. So, uh, and it, it's cool how Laszlo's underground uh, dwelling is rigged because it is like a, a little mini roller coaster that Mitch has to get into in order to get down beneath and to see Laszlo in the corner, just kind of being studious on a computer, not even knowing what he's doing. He's just kind of typing away. I, I love that scene. Cause I just think it'll lose again, lends itself to part of the fun of this movie where it's these nerds trying to you know, figure each other out. And there's some gadgetry involved in a secret passageway. That's why I like that scene. Yeah. I love the intro of Laszlo. I love his character. It's yeah. so great because like right in the beginning of the movie, Mitch gets on campus. He goes to find his clothes. They're all gone. And then he turns and Lazo's just standing there. Right. And they don't, even, they don't even talk. He just kind of looks at him. And then he goes straight in the closet. And then Mitch follows him. And then he's gone. And I just remember thinking, like, what the fuck just happened? Like, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out either. Like, in a way, I almost wish it took him longer to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But he's a genius. So he would figure it out. So, but... I'm going to jump ahead to the complaint department on this one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when Mitch finds Secret Passage and the coaster cart is right there, I'm like, well, didn't Laszlo go down? I mean, did that, does that reset? How does Laszlo get out then? Because doesn't he have to get back on the cart to get back up in order to get out through the closet? I've always thought about that. Yeah, sure. That kind of is like, ooh, but but I loved it though. Yeah, I was always wish. oh man, I wish I had something like that. Oh, that's like every kid's, like especially every boy's fantasy. Exactly. It's like, along with like having a tree house, it's like kind of like one of those things, contraptions like that, where that's your, where your imagination goes as a kid when you're building forts and things like that. Yeah. And I shouldn't say just boys I mean boys and girls, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's just, you know, but yeah, Laszlo's lair. I like that. I don't think I referred to as Laszlo's. I think I was referred to as the dungeon, but now, yeah. Oh, sure. Lair. That works too. No, I like Laszlo's lair way better. Keep going, Jason. Okay, sure. So I'm going to move on to my next favorite scene, which is the tanning invitational. Uh, in the movie, we've got these kids that are hard at work on a chemical laser. They're trying to perfect this laser project under the uh, guidance of Professor Hathaway, who's really putting on a full court press. He's really putting on the pressure for them. to. So they're stressed out. And I love the scene. Bill, God, I love this scene because how it opens. It doesn't even start at the tanning invitational. It takes place, well, it first starts in the lab where you have Mitch, this 15-year-old kid who's stressed out. He just can't figure out this damn laser, and he's under a time constraint. And then here's the freewheeling Chris Knight who walks in, donning a chef's hat and a beach <laughs> yes. towel wrapped around his waist. And he steps up to Mitch and he says, okay, okay, okay. Let's just take a step back. No, sorry. Let's take two steps forward. No, thanks. Take two steps back. Now we're doing the cha-cha. And he can't be serious for a simple second, not for one moment. I remember seeing that for the first time and I was dying because he's such a freaking goofball. And Mitch is like, I've had enough. I can't do this. He's like, that's it. Let's get serious. 
<laughs> that part is hilarious. But you can even go a little bit before that because Chris comes in with that uh, the thing in the beaker, and he's like oh, stirring yes, of it. Course. Yeah. yeah, it's like your it, taste is <laughs> too sweet, and of course he's like, well, no, no, what is it? I don't know. I found it in one of the labs. He's yeah. like, oh no, yeah, like, no, it's just it. yogurt. Yeah, I even remember thinking like, oh my god, what did you just eat? Right. Yeah, it got uh, me. It got true. me too. And so he, then Mitchie gets pissed off at Chris. He's like, can't you just be serious for a second, basically? And Chris is like, okay, all right, turn on the laser. We're going to figure this out. We're going to do this. Take your time. Mitch is like, don't, yeah, pressure, don't pressure me. And he's like, what is taking so long? I love that. <laughs> it's great. You kind of have to see it to understand how funny it is. I'm not doing Val Kilmer any justice here, but it turns out that Val Kilmer's already rigged the laser to bounce off several mirrors throughout the dorm and then out into the courtyard. And it leads all of the, the nerds and all the students to another area of the, of the campus. And there's a beam splitter. So you see the laser split and it writes a name on top of one of the buildings. It's actually uh, a sign that says tanning invitational and all the, all the nerds go inside and they discover that Knight has set up this entire hall, basically like what you would think is a, like a lecture hall has been uh, converted into a pool area. It's like a beach scene. And he has recruited all these young ladies from a uh, beauty school. They're aspiring beauticians to show up in their bikinis. And it's a big party. Everybody's splashing around. There's women. And he quickly tells his nerd friends, including Mitch, this could be your one chance to have sex. So live it up tonight. I, I <laughs> and, love that. Uh, <laughs> and so... All the nerds are like their jaws have dropped because they see all these beautiful women in bikinis running around and in the pool and dancing to Brian Adams and Don Henley and some great 80s tunes. Love the scene, Bill. This is part of the feel good aspect, man. Like I watch this scene and when like Brian Adams one night love affair comes on, I'm just like, oh, man. I want to be there. Like, I want to be there. It's just like, this is a freaking blast. It's a great scene, but that scene makes me mad too because Kent shows up and mm-hmm. rats out Chris and Mitch. Oh, uh, yeah. That pisses me off so much. I'm I like, know. <laughs> I'm like, it's Friday. It's like 10 30 at night or 11 or wherever. And now you're bringing Hathaway in. And He's got to be a dick. Exactly. I'm like, and then that is a brutal scene when Hathaway shows up and oh, berates. Yeah. Uh, Mitch in front of everybody. Yes. So that's see, that's where we get the last name. Taylor. Taylor. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. There you go. yeah. There you go. That's how we remember Mitch's last name. So yeah. So a lot going on in the scene and the quote from the opening of our podcast tonight is from that scene when uh, Chris Knight happens to see a buxom blonde walking around in her bikini and, and is like, I'm in love. I've my, she's my destiny. He says something to that effect and then chases her down and she has a cheeseburger in her hand. Yes. And he says, don't eat that. And she's like, huh? And he's like, don't you know eating that stuff will give you large breasts? And he looks down at her chest. He's like, oh, my God, I'm too late. <laughs> and she's laughing the whole time. Exactly. Which is great because she doesn't take it the wrong way. Obviously, he's very charming. And is it appropriate? No, it's not. But it's in the context of the movie. Very funny. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorite quotes, and 
I'm glad I got to say it to you tonight, Bill. Thank you. And I, <laughs> I also love, cause I didn't catch this before um, at the very end when Hathaway's about to leave. And one of the other students is like, Dr. Hathaway, are you wearing makeup? <laughs> and he just gives a look and he turns, he walks away. And the student who says it, there's a beautician standing right next. And she just looks at him and just kind of is like, no, like, no, 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 you don't say, you don't say that kind of thing. It's like asking a woman their age. She kind of oh, gives that look the way she's like, I didn't pick oh, up on that part. That's you great. should Very not subtle. have asked that question. That was great. I was like, oh, I never caught that before. But yeah, it was, yeah. It was a nice little catch at the end. So the tanning invitational, definitely one of my favorite scenes. All right, keep going, Jason. I'm going to talk about Kent. We love Kent. We love to hate Kent. Yes, we he's do. a great he's he's a great villain in this. Actually, he is, he's he is. such a a goody two shoes, subservient like to Hathaway this whole time. Just a kiss ass, brown nosing son of a bitch. Jerry, you're doing anything? Yeah, Jerry. What? <laughs> I love that. So when we're introduced to Kent, he makes it clear to Mitch that he's number one. He's the hotshot working on this laser project. Another great line. When in effect, Mitch has been brought in as the new prodigy and he's going to take over the project. But Kent doesn't know this yet. And Hathaway shows up. This is uh, William Atherton, who's brilliant in the part. Uh, Dr. Jerry Hathaway shows up to introduce Ma- uh, Mitch to the rest of the team working on this laser project. And Kent is basically put in his place, but Kent pretending as though he's teacher's pet, right? Yeah. Is that he is Hathaway's number one guy. And he calls him by his first name. He keeps calling him Jerry and Hathaway just keeps telling him, you're doing it again. You're doing it again. Please don't call me by my first name. Just freaking. Uh, hilarious. So Kent from the get, we talk about, see, this is good character. Like this is a good lesson to, for writers out there, how to establish a character very quickly. And we established Chris, Mitch Hathaway, and now Kent very quickly, you get an immediate sense as to who this character is. Yes. Is it a bit court, you know, cookie cutter stereotype? He's the brown nosing do-gooder, you know, sure. But then there's other levels that come into play, but we get a sense of who Kent is later on in the film. Uh, we understand that our protagonists, uh, Mitch, Chris, Jordan, and Ick, what's, I'm sorry. Who's Ick. the Ick. Thank yes. you. They've all been betrayed. They've been working on this project. Well, at least Mitch and Chris have, and uh, they've been betrayed by Hathaway. Hathaway is using this laser project for ulterior motives and reasons. And Kent seems to know a little bit about it. So they need to get some information out of Kent as to what Hathaway is really up to with this, this laser technology. And so what they decide to do, uh, because Jordan is proficient with the electronics, that's kind of her, one of her fortes, I guess. Uh, she puts a little uh, transmitter device into, well, first they have to knock him out. They got to knock out Kent. They put gas into his yeah. dorm. He passes out. She puts a transmitter in his braces and uh, they've hooked it up so that they can speak to Kent through this transmitter in his braces. So it sounds like when they talk to him through this microphone, it echoes throughout his, I don't even know how it works, but into his brain. And he, it sounds, he feels as though somebody is inside his head talking to him. And so it's intercut between Mitch talking on a microphone in a different room, uh, talking to Kent inside of his head as if he were Jesus. And it's very funny because, as you mentioned earlier, the voice is modulated. So 
Mitch's voice has a much deeper tone and it comes off as something like, Kent, this is Jesus talking to you and you need to tell me what Professor Hathaway is up to. That's the gist of it. It's very funny. And in order to prove to Kent that it really is Jesus talking to him, he says, okay, you have to be good from now on and stop playing with yourself. (laughs) And Kent just looks up to the ceiling as if he is looking to the heavens and says, it is God. (laughs) And it's just, I love that scene. I think, and I uh, forgive me. Do you know the actor's name that plays Kent? Uh, Robert Prescott. Robert Prescott is very good in this role. And he's very funny in this scene because he's basically talking to no one. He's hearing this voice in his head, not knowing that the transmitter has been put in his braces. That final moment when he says, it is God, as if God has been watching him sin by touching himself too much. Um, I love that scene. It's just another, you get a lot here because of the comedy. It moves the story forward. It's very funny. And you get to see some science stuff, right? The gadgetry. You see a couple of the characters do what they do best. And they they implement that very well in this movie. And that's the scene is one of those examples. So I love that scene. Yeah. And I love that Kent wears a fake turtleneck throughout. Dude, I have that in my notes later on. What the hell is that? What the fuck is Kent wearing? Exactly. It's great. He just cuts off a piece of turtleneck just because he wants to wear. Yeah. Because he just wants the turtleneck portion, the actual portion that goes around the neck. He doesn't want to wear the whole shirt. No. Because at one point they play a prank on him and they disassemble his car and reassemble it and put it in his dorm room. And uh, he comes out or he goes into his room and sees that his car is inside of his dorm room. And Kent then turns around. I'm like, he's wearing a t-shirt, but he has the turtleneck. Yep. And I'm like, what is it? How's he wearing that? Well, how he's not wearing a, cause turtlenecks have full sleeves. So yep. we see later on that he actually cut the turtleneck. So there's no shirt attached. It looks like a bib. Exactly. He's just got the turtleneck going around his neck and then a piece of material hanging on his chest. It's weird and hilarious. Love Kent. I was just going to compile the montages. We get uh, three different great 80s montages, montages with great music by Thomas Newman. Uh, there's one montage toward the end in particular when they're uh, delivering all the popcorn to Hathaway's house. And the beat kicks in and you're like, oh, this is full on 80s. Let's, it just feels great. And um, so this montages are my favorite scenes because it just is nostalgic, makes me nostalgic for all 80s montages. Then we've talked about it already, the end, the end with the popcorn uh, blowing up as a result of the heat from the laser. Kent's inside the house. He thinks he's having a moment with God. And we have our protagonists outside celebrating Everybody wants to rule. The world is playing. Kids are playing in the popcorn. You can't go wrong. That's a beautiful ending. So that final ending uh, scene is also one of my favorite scenes. I had one other moment for this segment, and it's during one of the montages. And it's when everyone is cramming for their final exams, which is just great. And you know that they're trying to soak up an impossible amount of information. You see all the books and they're all kind of like in the commons area of their dorm. And they're all passing out at, at our staying up in the, to the middle of the night, burning the candle at both ends. And they're all around this table in the commons. And one of the kids just fucking loses it. 
he snaps right there. And I laugh every time because the kid just starts screaming and that's it. He just starts yelling at the top of his lungs because he can't take it anymore. And he's just, ah, ah, ah. And then he stands up and he keeps yelling. Ah, ah. <laughs> he just walks out. But the funniest part of it is that nobody reacts. Nope. No, not one other student reacts. They all completely understand the pressure of it. And that eventually somebody is going to snap. And that would happen to be him. And not only that, he runs out of the room just screaming at the top of his lungs because he's losing his goddamn mind. And then is it Ick? Yeah, it is Ick. It, it is Ick. Slides right in there. He's like, oh, we just I got a good seat. He gets yep. one of the good seats at the table to continue his studies. Love that moment. That is great. Oh my God. We could spend four hours just trying to pick out all these moments. Oh yeah. I mean, well, another one just came to mind is when Chris Knight, Chris Knight makes two visits to Jerry Hathaway's house. Oh yeah. And they're both hilarious. I could have put those in favor. I forgot to put those in my favorite scenes actually. Mm -hmm. But the first one, when he has the quote of Jerry, I'm going to say something to you just because I care. There's a lot of decaf brands on the market now that are just as good as the real thing. There's a great moment there. Oops, sorry. I guess he makes, does he make three visits? Yes, he does. Sorry, three visits to Hathaway's. The second one, though, see, now I'm getting all confused. But the second one is when he interrupts Dr. Hathaway having a little bit of a tryst. That's the third time. That's the third time. Okay. And that's funny. So any any of those sequences where he comes over to Hathaway's is hilarious. But to, speaking of great moments, is that scene the second time he comes over to Hathaway's house and meets the young lady who happens Susan. to be... Yes. David Decker, who's a CIA operative, who's heading this whole operation from the CIA perspective, it's his daughter, this very attractive blonde. And Chris knocks on the door. She answers the door because Decker and uh, Hathaway are in a meeting. And Chris and her have this brief back and forth, which is just brilliant. And that's the, the quote. Can you, was it, can you nail a six inch spike into a board with your penis? Yes. Says, Not now. <laughs> Yeah, it's like girls gotta have standards. Ah. But even when he, Chris Knight's just so excited to see her, and he's like, "You ever seen a body like this in your life?" And his dad, she's my daughter. Right. Yes, you have. Awesome. Got so forward. I'm like, yeah. never, never. Oh, and that would never. Dream. And the fact that the dad doesn't barely reacts to their interaction, which takes place right in front of him. I mean, they're both being very forward with one another, uh, in a very with the sexual innuendos. Yes. And uh, the, he's just kind of putting up the dad's just standing there. I'm like, oh, my God, I wouldn't, wouldn't put up with that. Anyway. Yeah. So there's just a million, million different moments in this movie. We could take I mean, we could do a whole podcast on just quotes and funny moments. Yeah. And that's it. All right. So uh, let's move on. Um, yeah. Soundtrack. Yep. Um, so the music was done by uh, Thomas Newman. Great. Absolutely great. Yeah, who very famous family of music. Um, Jason and I have had this pleasure of seeing his brother, David Newman, at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, he does some of the conducting there uh, for some of their shows. And uh, Thomas Newman's cousin, uh, we probably heard of him, uh, Randy Newman. It's kind of hard because it's like, I think this is one of Thomas Newman's first scores. There's not very much mm -hmm. music in it because it is right. a lot of soundtrack. You know, that's the thing after this movie, we're like, man, I would love to have the soundtrack. There's just some great tunes on this. And we've I agree. mentioned a bunch of them already. Uh, of course, the tears for fears 
Jason goes with the Brian Adams. And then the um, I'm falling from the, the montages, I'm falling from yep. the Cosmic Angels. And then the other one is uh, number one by Chaz uh, Jankel. So, yeah, I just love the music. Right. And then in the uh, tanning invitational scene that I had mentioned, uh, all she wants to do is dance down Henley. Oh, yes. That was one of his big hits. So, yeah, definitely some good music in this um, very 80s. Oh, totally. Yeah, completely. And if, if you like Thomas Newman, he has some great synth, 80s synth in here uh, and a couple of different tracks take that he has that I, I find stand out. Uh, one is when um, our protagonists are wearing the gas masks and they're injecting the gas into oh, yeah. Kent's dorm room. There's bow, some good, bow, yeah, some bow, good bow, 80s synth yep. there. I like that track a lot. And then I mentioned in, uh, I think, the last montage when they're delivering the popcorn into Hathaway's house. Good Thomas Newman stuff on the uh, official soundtrack and great lyrical music on the uh, soundtrack as well. All right, let's move on. So let's do it. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. So we can either do the Swiss cheese or a complaint department. Uh, which way do we want to go on this? Um, let's try to get right through the, the Swiss cheese segment. All right. Do you have any? I think we. Cheese? I think I have a few more issues I want to file uh, with the complaints department. All right. So during that, see, it's one of my favorite scenes. Yet I have this initial issue with, with that tanning invitational scene. Was, do you really think? I mean, is this a whole? The beauty school girls—they are so into these nerds. It's really funny, and I. I go with it, the suspension of disbelief, because these are some beautiful women running around in bikinis and they're waving at the nerds as they come in and they're like, hey, hey, and they're all flirty and they just want to, they're loving it. They want to be there. They want to be with these young nerds. And I'm like, oh man, that would just never happen. That would never happen. But remember, who set this up? Chris Knight. Chris Knight, see? That charisma, good looking guy. You know what you just did, Bill? Yeah. You filled the hole. I filled the hole. You just filled a hole. Nice. Here we go. Here's another hole I got real quick. All right. Leaving an explosive apple on your teacher's desk. That would get you kicked out. Yeah. And or criminal charges would be pressed. <laughs> yeah. He must have known. I was thought, I was thinking about that, too. I was like, he must have known he was going to throw that in the trash. Well, because. even still. <laughs> exactly. It's, like it's right next to his desk. Oh, I know. That's pretty like, I love it. It's funny every time. And I even know it's coming, but anyway, firing the new and improved chemical laser. I just think it's fucking reckless. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. so reckless. Oh, I know. Because they've gotten it up to, I think they talk about it, it's almost a six megawatt laser. They're trying to get five megawatts, but they solved the power problem. And now it's up to almost six and they test it 
with Hathaway there and Kent and everybody's watching. And it blows a hole through the entire dormitory. It goes all the way across the courtyard through its like a, an actual cement like statue through a, a tree trunk. Yes. And all the way across town through the sign of a burger joint. And who knows how much further somebody got, got killed. Yes. Easily. Was, I know. And all, all their target was like a, a piece of steel and some concrete bricks. I mean, right. They're brainiacs. They should have known five megawatts. You can't. Burn through. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's like, you can't be doing that. So also at the, near the end, Chris and Mitch need to board the B1B bomber, which houses the laser, the actual laser that's going to fire from the sky on a test target. And they get onto this plane because they need to reprogram the laser to not hit the target, but to actually hit Professor Hathaway's house, which will then heat up the popcorn that they planted inside. So that is just like, you really got to go with it, the suspension of disbelief, because they clearly aren't scientists. And here's what saves this that sort of semi-fills this hole for me, Okay, is the fact that it is addressed when they are trying, they're on board the plane and the other technicians are there. And there's one actual real technician that is suspiciously looking at them both. Like, what are these two kids doing on our plane? Right. And Knight just looks at him and goes, what? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, okay. <laughs> you got to sell that you're supposed to be there. And that's what you did. You got to sell that you got to be there. Oh, okay, this, so- this is kind of a... Uh, cheese this is the the crossbow project because when you see it in the beginning it's basically a spaceship a one-man cockpit spaceship who's just supposed to be floating around it's i'm like wait did we yeah do you have go to ahead. send them up every time to go shoot somebody wouldn't other countries know like wait i think the crossbow's going up someone's in trouble and did we have anything like that tech in the 80s anything close to like that uh, like i mean reagan was always talking we had about a space star show. wars yeah but that was like a one-man craft. It looked very futuristic. It was cool. Yeah, but yeah, cool, but not was very like, practical. Exactly. Yeah. Like, is the guy just yeah. supposed to live in the cockpit, wait for orders? Like, I know it's been six months, but uh, <laughs> we finally have someone for you to shoot. He's in, uh, he's in Panama. His name's Noriega. All right. So here's my last hole, my last Swiss cheese issue that I want to address. So. At the end of the film, the climax is that Laszlo, Chris and Mitch, and Jordan Ick have all teamed up to reprogram this laser, which was taken from them and now weaponized. They're going to reprogram this laser so it doesn't hit the target, so it fails in its you know operation, basically, and, and exposes Hathaway for who he really is as a bad guy in general. Mm-hmm. So... The night before it all goes down, we have Chris and Mitch boarding the B-1 bomber to reprogram the laser from uh, that end. And on the other end, back at, I believe, is it back at school, we have Laszlo with Jordan and Ick reprogramming the laser. This is the night before the actual test takes place. So that reprogramming the night before takes place. The next morning, they all save the day. Yes, We have the popcorn is exploding through the Hathaway house, destroying it. Now, we're supposed to believe that overnight in a matter of hours, this seems to, Laszlo has won the Frito-Lay sweepstakes, Yes, packs up everything in an RV, makes it with Sherry Nugel, mm-hmm. and, you know, quote unquote, makes it. And they decide that they're an item and they're going to move to her survival place in Wyoming. 
you know what, Bill? I don't care. I don't care. I'm in. Fucking A, Laszlo. You're my hero. God damn it. I love it. I love it. It doesn't make it. I don't know how he did it overnight or in a matter of a couple of days, but maybe he was doing, you know, a lot of this had been happening over the previous week and he just not divulge this information to anybody. And that's why they're all surprised at the end. So maybe I filled my own hole here. I don't know. There you go. I'm sold on that because you know how I am with time with that yeah. kind of stuff that would yeah. drive me yeah. crazy. So I, I think maybe that was going down for a while because mm-hmm. we know Sherry was on campus because you tried to put the moves on Mitch. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, I buy that. She would fall in love with Laszlo because he's number one. He's the number one brain, mm-hmm. but it just was like, wow, this all happened really quickly. Laszlo shows up with the the truck, the the trailer full of yeah. the stuff he won from the Frito Lay sweepstakes. Which, by the way, trivia, yeah. Caltech students did that. Yep, that's in the, the our research. For it was a McDonald's sweepstakes, yeah. and they won. What was it? They didn't they? Did they win a car? And they, like three thousand dollars in cash and fifteen hundred bucks in prizes. But they won. They won like twenty a fifth of the twenty percent of the prizes. Yeah. It's crazy that they really, they figured it out. That was my last uh, Swiss cheese thing. We can move, go to the complaints department. If All, right, you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. All right, real quick. I'll just do one quick complaint just about the end. Yeah. Even though I love the ending and stuff like that. Just the popcorn with the kids. Mm-hmm. I was like, A, all this popcorn just blew out of the building, glass, building shards, <laughs> whatever. Now you have all these kids jumping around in it. Exactly. Yeah. Jumping around in it. And that then, house is not structurally sound. That house could fall over on those kids at any moment. Exactly. And then they take wheelbarrows of glass <laughs> popcorn and take it home to eat. I'm like, these kids might be accidentally eating glass. I mean, it's bad enough. You got to deal with the kernels. Now you're going to maybe choose some glass. It's like so unsafe, so unsafe. So that's my big complaint. I'm like, you can't have those kids jumping in that glass popcorn that's so funny because that's all i'm thinking is like that house is gonna fall uh, fall over get kids get out of there children vominos no i was just like all those windows blue there's all that glass in the popcorn don't eat the this, popcorn yeah, no, don't do no kids the what, what are the kids doing why are you yeah so <laughs> but if i was a kid i would have been right in there with them oh uh, i love it so uh i gotta file this issue with the complaints department go ahead uh when they test the laser when they think they've figured out the power problem and they have figured it out. The laser shoots all the way across town, shoots through a billboard for the Purgatory Burger Bar. This Purgatory place is one hell of a joint, Bill Bant. They go in. <laughs> there's punk rock girls fighting, pulling hair. There's somebody rolls, does like a barrel roll over a pool table. Mm-hmm. We've got a guy with a jerry curl doing the splits in the middle of an aisle. We've got an old dude boogieing down with a cane. Another guy rolls across a pool table. It's nonstop action at the Purgatory Burger Joint. Uh, it's hilarious. As, as if the second unit director said to all the extras individually, you all have to do something different. We're get, we have to establish that this bar, this burger joint is like no other. The energy is through the roof and they choreographed it so that it's just so funny because you see these people like, where is this place? And why is everything going down all at once? People are fighting. People are rolling over pool tables. People are dancing. And we have our characters enjoying a milkshake and a beer at the table. It's just really funny. Jason, I'm glad that you asked where that place is. Oh, is it, awesome. Because I think you and I have actually been to that place. Oh, my God. You're kidding. 
It's a place that you and I used to hang out a lot when I first came out here in California. Not that particular venue. Okay. But one of their other venues here in Southern California. Oh, that's funny because that's exactly if it, it's what you're going to say at it. What I think. Barney's Beanery. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It totally that's, looks that's, like it. It's it totally the, looks. It is one of the Barney's Beanery locations. Okay. It's not the For one sure. that we would go to all the time. But I think we've been to that one once. I think it's the one in West Hollywood. That's yeah. I've been there a couple, yeah, a few times. Okay, I wasn't sure. If that's exactly been there what together. it looks like. It yeah. definitely, it's that one. It, yeah. it has to be because that's exactly what it, I'm looking at. It going, that totally looks like Barney's Beanery. Yeah, yeah. Jason and I used to go to Barney's Beanery almost weekly. Not the one in the film, but I, I, I'm trying to think we if we have been together at that one. I know I've been to that location, but I wasn't sure if I was there with you at any time. So that was kind of funny. When I found out it was Barney's Beanery, I'm like, oh, my God, I miss that place. I've given Barney's Beanery a lot of my money. So other issues. Did they ever explain how or where they got the drain experts incorporated truck and uniforms when they load it up with all the popcorn and then unload it into Hathaway's house? No. But I love how they stole Kent's car to get to the base. That was, they did, that was Yeah, that, was, they, that wasn't explained either. No, I picked that up too. So it's like they okay. had to reassemble the car. I guess these are sort of like actually these are kind of holes then, aren't they? These should have been this should have been Swiss cheese, but that's okay. We'll combine Swiss yeah. cheese and complaints department. So speaking of Mitch and Chris in Kent's car, they either stolen his car, or borrowed his car, whatever it was. They probably stole. It. They have to get onto the Air Force base, and they go through a security checkpoint. And they have to present fake IDs, which were provided to them by Jordan. And there's some comedy here, but they're clearly, you know, Mitch is nervous. He's wearing an obviously fake mustache. And it made me think of victory. They should be arrested on the spot. They're, they're, they're terrible actors. It's a, it's a mundane job. You know, they're just in that little box all day. They're not expecting anything. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, there's some there's some good comedy in that scene. Actually, yeah. it's kind it of should fun. definitely be. Better hey, uh, 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 airborne. Yes, and we haven't even talked about Jordan that much, to be honest. I, you know, I was going to bring her up in my because I have her in my notes, but not to later. I love her. That's just me. And it took me for the longest time to realize that was the same girl as Gilbert's girlfriend in Revenge of the Nerds. I didn't realize it's oh, the same girl. Wow. Yeah, that's great. I'm a fan of She is so neurotic in this yes. movie. Michelle Merink, wonderful. She's great. She talks a million miles an hour. She's got ADD, ADHD, whatever it is, and it's she's awesome. She her line readings and her energy, and she's cute. She's got like this nerdy Phoebe Cates thing going yes. on. Oh, that's a good call. I like that. Totally. Yeah, she's just so freaking cute. She's adorable. Yeah. So uh, Jordan is, she's great. And then she totally falls for a 15 year old. And uh, yeah, see there. Yeah. Break, breaks yeah I had to bring that up, Bill. Break yeah. some laws. Robbing the cradle. Yeah, exactly. Robbing the cradle, breaking some laws. <laughs> breaking the law. She's in the montages. She's bringing, she has all these gadgets and different things. I love her page turner invention. I just love that it's like, do you have a bed? I can build you a bed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, of course he has a bed. That's just so funny. She walks that into the men's so bathroom. Funny. He's trying yeah. to take a leak in the urinal and yeah. she just walks in. She's like, I made a sweater for you last night. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. Jordan. Yeah. Are, are you peeing? Yeah. yeah. Just like, are you peeing? Uh, actually, I haven't started. Oh, why is it because of me? Yeah. And she That's, just finds that weird. Kind of weird. Yeah. 
Uh, she's great. Her gadgetry and her, she adds a, a nice energy to it and a little bit of a romantic interest as well, of course. So, so that's, that's what I got, man. We can, we can keep this moving. Let's keep this baby rolling. All right, let's keep going. So uh, move on to our next segment. Hey, it's that actor. In this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. So Jason, who's your, hey, it's that actor. Well, he shows up immediately in one of my, when one of Jason Massick's forgotten scenes, which is the CIA undercover covert meeting they're talking, you know, watching the crossbow video and one of the actors at the table who does play, I believe, is it, uh, sorry, David Decker is the character's name. The actor's name is Ed Lauter. Uh, He has been in so many things. Look him up on IMDb. He's been in films. He's played many military, like authority figures, coaches, been on a million TV shows, been in a million films. And this is what Bill and I like to do in this show is we, we've got to give it a, this actor a shout out if he was featured on our favorite television show of all time. And that's Miami Vice. Yes. That's right. Ed Lauder was Captain Cahill. Not only was on Miami Vice, but on one of, I know this for a fact, one of both Bill and I's favorite Miami Vice episodes entitled Shadow in the Dark. Yes. And, you know, we could do a whole podcast on that episode alone. Just a great episode. If you're a fan of Michael Mann, I was listening to a podcast recently, Bill, and they were breaking down uh, Manhunter, which is great. Great 80s movie based on the Red. Yeah, which is based on Red Dragon in the, you know, uh, Hannibal Lecter trilogy. And if you know Michael Mann, you know his style and you know the film Manhunter. And then you go and watch this episode of Miami Vice, Shadow in the Dark. It makes sense from the Michael Mann perspective in his style of filmmaking. And uh, uh, it's a great episode. It's dark. It is dark. Yeah. It's almost like a mini episode of Manhunter. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, Ed Lauder's in that episode and um, just a great character actor. And that's what I got for Hey, it's that actor. Who's your actor? Maybe we should change the segment to Hey, it's that actor from Miami Vice. That's real. I'm all for it. (laughs) Let's do it. It's official. Done. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think probably half our episode so far has someone that has some kind of cameo in Miami Vice. So yeah, we might we'll yeah. have to change that. All right. Um, so my actor is uh, Yuji Okamoto. Uh, this was yeah. his first film. He played Fenton. Um, his big line in the movie was, they're beauticians? <laughs> That's a good line, Randy. That's exactly what he sounds like. Thank you. Um, so where we know uh, Yuji from? Um, his biggest role or the movie uh, we would know most from is Chosen, Daniel LaRusso's arch enemy in Karate Kid 2. And yeah. uh, for those of you who watch uh, Cobra Kai, he shows up again in the latest season. And uh, he is great in the, his role in, in Cobra Kai. Um, he was also in some other 80s movies that you might have watched, uh, True Believer and Aloha Summer with uh, Chris Maker piece if everyone remembers him from meatballs and my bodyguard fame. So yeah, that's my Very cool. actor. Good call. That's great. Yeah. He keeps moving around in the background in this movie uh, as one of the students. And he's just so recognizable because of, you know, the popularity of the karate kid series, karate kid Two, electric. Boogaloo. Yes. Uh, so moving on to facts and trivia. 
So Jason, you have anything uh, cool to share with facts and trivia? Yeah, right off the bat, we haven't mentioned that the main produ- uh, producer on this film is Brian Grazer, big time producer. And he himself, Brian Grazer, remembers that when Val Kilmer came in to audition for the role of Chris Knight, uh, he came in with a lot of energy, obviously brought some candy bars and performed tricks. So he was already ready to be kooky and goofy. But I guess Val Kilmer remembers his audition a little bit differently. Uh, this is his quote. He says, uh, the character wasn't polite. So when I shook Grazer's hand and he said, hi, I'm the producer, I said, I'm sorry, you look like you're 12 years old. I like to work with men. <laughs> and he's still got the role. That's and your cast as Chris Knight. I love those stories because it always just makes me like from an actor's perspective. I'm like, oh, man, if I, you know, when I'm auditioning, I guess I just got to take more risks and just walk in and just go, what the fuck? Hey, if you can't say it, you can't do it. There you go. So my, I guess my big uh, fun fact, because most of the stuff we've already covered at some point in the film, but this was the first movie to be promoted via the internet, which is kind of funny because at this day and age of COVID and all we've been doing is Zoom calls and Zoom meetings and stuff like that. This is the first, they did a press junket a week before this was uh, to release. And they set it up at a computer store in Westwood, California, in which uh, the director, Martha Coolidge, and some of the actors answered questions via internet there was some technical difficulties you know because it was starting and stuff like that but uh zoom before zoom yep so zoom before zoom very cool the dorm in the film is based on the dabney house at caltech okay that's what i was trying to come up with earlier i was tripping over my words uh and caltech students served as consultants and played extras in the film and i also wanted to clarify talking about laszlo hollyfeld who wins the Frito-Lay sweepstakes. Yes. So yes, this, the Caltech students uh, in 1974 used a similar strategy to win the McDonald's sweepstakes. Their entries ref, uh, came to roughly a fifth of the total entries and won them a station wagon. <laughs> <laughs> station wagon, $3,000 cash, 1500 bucks in food gift certificates. Oh, I love in the credits. There's actually... Oh, in the credits, there is a laser consultant and a hacking consultant that are awesome. in the credits. Yes. Um, yeah, that's funny because that's exactly where I was going to go next. That's what I figured. So uh, I, was trying, I was trying to give good lead in, man. Good segue. So all of the laser technology in Real Genius was the real thing. Uh, it was sponsored by the professor Martin Gunderson of the University of Southern California, USC. Gunderson himself had attempted to develop an infrared laser, which would separate uranium without conventional problems with nuclear waste. So, um, yeah, a lot of the research that Martha Coolidge, the director of Real Genius, did, the tech stuff in here is based greatly on factual things. I mean, you know, they took some liberties, but she did a lot of work with the, the tech stuff and also, again, with the Caltech students themselves. So she worked, Martha Coolidge worked very hard on this uh, film and she would go on. Actually, I just wanted to give my shout out to Martha Coolidge. She was the first female president of the Directors Guild of America from 2002 to 2003, I believe. So, and very accomplished, uh, nominated for Emmys. She did a lot of television work. I believe she's still directing today a lot of TV, some film early on. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. Yeah, definitely kudos so, to her. Much respect. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad she got head of the DGA. Uh, anything else for uh, facts and trivia? 
That's well. That's all I got for tonight. All right. Um, so let's move on to box office. Um, as I mentioned, no, that's earlier. what I meant. That's all I got for tonight. I'm out. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Good night, guys. All right. See you, Jason. All right. I guess I'll finish this off. So, all right. So we're moving on to uh, box office. Um, as I said on the top of the show, August '95 was the month of teenage science movies. On August 2nd, we had uh, Weird Science that came out, which made a whopping 16.3 million. Then Real Genius came out on August 7th, which made 12.9 million. And then My Science Project, the one that I wanted to see the most out of these three, <laughs> shows what you know as a 12 year old, came out on August 9th. And that only made 4.1 million. So, um, yeah, Real Genius, yeah, did not do well. It debuted at number seven when it came out and was out of the top 10 by its third week. I'm sorry, Bill, did you mention the budget on it? Did we have the budget on Real Genius? Um, it says about $8 million. Okay. Yeah. And made about 12 or 13. Yep. Okay. Yeah, none, none of those movies did that well. Yeah. Unfortunately. So, yeah. We are going to have to do weird science. Yes. Not my science project, unless we're <laughs> unless we've been doing this for twenty years, and that's basically the last movie we have to do. I might have to. Watch we may it have again. to do. We may have to do Project X though. Project X is fine. That one I'm okay with. I'll do Project X. All right, gotta uh, got to throw a monkey movie in there somewhere. That's yeah. true. All right, so moving on to reviews. Um, of course, when growing up in the '80s, we loved catching at the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert on PBS to hear their reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their view on Real Genius was unanimous. They both gave yes. it a thumbs up. Yeah, all right. Yeah, Roger applauded the fact that the characters weren't your stereotypical dumb jock, beautiful blonde, etc., and dealt with more real-like students. While Gene was amazed at the number of times the movie goes for the gags and hits. They both found the film to be very funny. They got that one right. Hell yeah, they did. So let's move on to final thoughts. Final thoughts yeah. of real genius. You know what? Um, I wish Val Kilmer had done more comedies. Yes. I, I really do. He just had that impeccable timing. And we talked about kind of, we don't know, of course, if Ryan Reynolds modeled his um, uh, himself after that, or if by all appearances, Ryan Reynolds is Chris Knight. Like he is that character in real life. Like he he kind of comes off with that, uh, having that charisma at all times. I can't hide. I don't know Ryan Reynolds, but yeah, and he he did a great college. One of my favorite college movies too, Van Wilder. Sure, I two guys, a girl in a pizza place was the first time I Ryan Reynolds was on a short lived uh, sitcom, right. And when we, I, I'll never forget watching that with a couple of my friends, roommates at the time. I was already out here in LA and I was like, who is this guy? He's freaking hilarious. He's got a great delivery and really quick timing. Like, and uh, I'm a big fan of the Deadpool films. I'm just a big fan of, of Ryan Reynolds all around. He's got it going on. So um, I wish Val Kilmer had really kind of taken event. Like he's just so that good and top secret as well. And you'll see it come through from time to time in other films, but you know, took on much more dramatic roles and uh, was equally as good with the drama. But just uh, he was so good in Real Genius, just really like laugh out loud, funny, uh, very charming. Like I said, charismatic. You can't he steals every scene he's in. Can't keep your eyes off him. So also, I found it. You know, I did a little introspection. We kind of opened with this talking about our college years, right? Right. And it's, it's nostalgic in that way 
the friends that you make in college. Because my thoughts about going to college is really about embracing the social experience and embracing uh, a newfound independence and just beginning the journey of your own self-discovery and identity. So you see some of that in this movie. And I yeah, wrote down that it's a movie about, you know, finding your place, fitting in, discovering your strengths, accepting who you are and the friends you're going to attract and the friends you're going to keep. And that's why that final scene really resonates where you're just like, yeah, these guys came together and saved the day and it's all feel good meant to be. And that's just, I was fortunate to have that type of college experience uh, with yourself, Bill and Marwan and uh, too many to mention here. And uh, most of them also are still good friends of mine today, whom I get to be not only friends with, but work with. It's cool. It's just cool. So that's what this movie makes me think of. And uh, part of the reason why it's such a feel good movie. Yeah. For me. Yeah. One of the things we didn't really touch on what a scene that I loved too, was the, the ice scene. I always thought that was kind of fun Absolutely. too. Cause I was sure, always like, course. could you actually do that? I think I remember going to college wondering if I could freeze the hallways in our dorm, just like that. I was like, Oh, I'd love to do the real genius thing where I would love to freeze hallways and, and they do it at Caltech. It's a regular yeah. thing. That's a yeah, you know, one of their like traditions. Yeah, we might have done a lot of laundry detergent and water in the hallways. <laughs> sure, we made it as slippery as possible. But yeah, we right. weren't able to create the ice effect. So right, right. But I think the one thing that I really love about this movie is the story is complete. Where I felt like I didn't need a sequel. Everything I need is right here, and. In this day and age, everything sequels and, you know, I don't think this is a movie I've ever like, oh, I wish they made another one because I just love this one so much. You just, just keep it the way it is. Keep the memory the way it is. Just the way, like I said, just, I think because of that ending, I just love that ending. It's like Laszlo drives off into the sunset and the rest of them stay behind and enjoy their last couple of weeks together before they move on to do their thing. There's, there's no reason to tell any more story. It's just finishes right there. And it's just well done so um hats off to the writers for just making making it complete it's just like i said it's just hilarious we didn't even touch it's like the tip of the iceberg on just so many funny lines every like every other line is just funny and but there's still a story in there there's still a story that's told agreed and just like so many of these lines hit so many are so funny i mean and the more you watch that especially growing up, the more you catch on to other stuff or see other stuff. And this is definitely something you can watch multiple times and just catch something new or funny every other time. If you have not seen this or have not seen this in a while, stream it. However you're going to do it, watch it again. I swear it will make you laugh again. And just the nostalgia of your you know, time in college or just time with friends you haven't seen for a long time. I th- it, all that yeah. memories just come flooding back. It's just a well fun, fun, underappreciated film it holds up yes it does holds up really well yeah yeah even it's still just as funny exactly I, I i really don't feel like there's much that and like if any of the jokes that don't land no they all they all they all still land and that's a real credit to the writers this script happened to go through a lot of rewrites too which is surprising usually that's a bad sign but for whatever reason they they figured it out with this one so real credit to the writers yeah and it is 
funny too, because I mean, even the laser stuff would be relevant today. But like when you see them mm-hmm. work on computers, that's kind of hilarious with you know the monitors. Oh, the sure, yeah, that, that kind standard. of stuff. Yeah, right. But um, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It just it still works. I mean, you could in a way almost remake it, and not have to change that much. Yeah, because you could still do you could still do the laser technology aspect of it. That would still work today. You wouldn't have to change what they were trying to do. It would just update clothes, update computers, and of course they'd all have to be on cell phones or something like that. That kind of sense, but. Uh, Please don't touch it. It's great the way it is. Yeah. Uh, not yet. I would, I was about to say, you know, like Ryan Reynolds playing like an older version of Chris Knight, but it's in some sort of reboot, but don't, I yeah. think you, you nailed it really well said bill that it's something I didn't think of because it's something I didn't think of as it was a sequel to this. You just, it's not even, doesn't even enter my head because it's just so tightly packaged and wrapped up. It's perfect as it is. Leave it alone. Um, any anything else, Jason? Before we I've got uh, yeah, I've got a few questions oh, for cool. you, real quick. All right. I love the questions. Um, so, who was that guy or girl that helped you acclimate to the new experience of college? Did you have that person? Did you have a mentor? Did you have a, a Chris Knight character? Not necessarily somebody that was this nonstop hilarity, quippy all the time, but just somebody that took you under their wing. Yes. So before I met you, so my freshman and sophomore year, the um, guy lived next door to me was in the military um, out of high school and then he came back to go to college so he was literally 10 years older than me oh there you go yeah Yeah, so i was only 17 when i started college and he was 27 and yeah he kind of took me under his wing his great. his name name was um mark lego so i don't know if there's any chance he's gonna be hearing this so that's okay but he was awesome i mean he was like he was the one that would get me like beer my first year at college, because uh, I didn't go home for Thanksgiving, I got to go to his house with his family. We did Thanksgiving there. Um, I didn't have a TV my freshman year, so I was always in his room. Anytime he was going to dinner, he's always knocking on my door to make sure I went. He really looked after me that first year. And I, and I remember asking him at one point, I was like, Mark, does it feel weird that 10 year gap between us? And he just, and he like, he's like, Bill, you and I have a lot of things in common. I consider you a friend. Age doesn't matter. We like doing the same things together. We like watching the same shows together. I like talking to you. We have good conversations. We're friends. We're friends. And I think that was the first time someone like really opened my eyes to not to let those external things matter. Just like, do you get along with this person? Hang out with them. That kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, my hat's off to to Mark. I really appreciate him uh, getting through me those uh, first two years of college. That's great, man. You know what? For me, I'm going to give a shout out to my guy, Jeff Cloudy. Love Cloudy. I just remember, obviously, you know, Sippy was my roommate and quick, 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 great friend. You know, we became fast friends. But Sippy was, I think, a half a semester ahead of me. So he had been there for just a short while before I had arrived. And uh, he and I became fast friends. But uh, he then introduced me to Jeff Cloudy whom had a little more experience and had a certain, I don't know, je ne sais quoi about him in a way. (laughs) Like he was a goofball, but he also was a man about town. And on top of it, he was just a genuinely good dude. You could just, and still is, I should say, just had a good heart, really funny sense of humor, uh, just extremely easy going. And he knew people, he knew, his way around and was willing to show us 
and Sippy introduced me to him. And it was just like, ah, this is the guy you want to be with. This is the guy you kind of want to tag along with. And he got me into the, you know, a couple of get together, a couple of parties. And I think that's how I ended up meeting Mad Dog. You know, you can't make this up. I mean, it's just truth is stranger than fiction, right? Mad Dog was the guy who would have parties in his dorm room and just concoct these big vats of <laughs> vodka and orange juice. And anyway, and he was, of course, he was like a nurse. He was like in nursing school. Uh, but Cloudy himself, just a good guy. And he kind of, I would say he took me under his wing as well as a few other people too. Um, but he still acted as if we were just all going through it together, just like your, your, your friend, mm-hmm. uh, same kind of thing. We didn't, it didn't feel like we were on different levels. Uh, we were all on an equal playing field, just going through our college experiences together as friends. So uh, shout out to Jeff. And then I was going to flip it and just be like, had you then in turn, like ever like befriended a newbie and helped them acclimate? I know, like I said, my, my sophomore year of college, because most of the people on my floor had left and we had a whole bunch of new freshmen. So I really tried to make sure like, you know, keep the door open, say hi to them kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. and just kind of because of what Mark did is like, you just just accept them who cares what they're studying and stuff like that so hopefully i mean hopefully i paid it forward i don't know you'd sure have, you'd yeah, have yeah, to, yeah you'd have to ask them i'm not going to do any i'm not going to name drop and like whatever bill you're a dick so right. <laughs> um uh, that's great yeah but yeah, yeah i was gonna say it's funny because yeah my sippy speaking of sippy was kind of like I never uh, felt in any way, shape, or form that I was a mentor to him, mm-hmm. but Sippy was from New Delhi, from India, and was still adjusting to certain uh, aspects of American culture. So I think uh, I was able to help him in that way. He would be able to watch some of my uh, just behaviors and act, per, you know, how I would move around in everyday society or whatever it was. And uh, he would pick up things in here and there. And I, I felt like I was able to help him in that way, just uh, to find a, a comfortable way of operating. I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah. so I felt like uh, I was able to help somebody at least. And he and I were just great friends on top of it all. Of it all. And he helped me in so many other ways too, uh, being from New Delhi. And then I became a, a much more cultured and, as a result. And uh, yeah, it's amazing what what you take away from other people through this whole experience. I think that's what's so crazy about it. Just all the things that you do take away, how it just opens your eyes, just how just growing up, how you just did a certain way. You just hear stories of what other families did and stuff like that. I I always found that amazing. Very fortunate to have these experiences and uh, make the friends that uh, are still our friends today. Mm -hmm. Mississippi. And cloudy. So here's my last thing. I promise. <laughs> Shout out to our guy, Val Kilmer. Dude, I've always wanted to be able to do the knuckle roll with oh, the coins. I'm glad you brought I can't believe I didn't mention. Yeah, that's his signature move. He's done that. It's in a Val Kilmer thing. Because yes. I'm going, wait a minute. Doesn't he do that in Top Gun? Wait. And then I looked it up. And sure enough, yeah. It doesn't seem It's like too. no wonder. Yeah, he does it with a poker chip. Yep. 
I've tried it. Stuff. I can't. Oh, I, I, suck I, can, I, I, I can do maybe two fingers yeah. and that's it. And then it's, oh, oh, oh clink, yep. clink, clink. Yeah, I'm falling. You know, yeah, I probably need something the size of poker chips to do. But in Top Gun, he does it with a pen. Yeah, this is, that's his big move. He used to be doing the master class just to teach us how to do that. <laughs> then I, I'll sign up. I'm going to sign up. The knuckle roll yep. master class. Yep. I'm Val Kilmer. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's all I got. Though. All right. Uh, as much as I would love to close out this with everybody wants to rule the world music. I can't, yeah. we can't afford it. Well, I think that wraps it up for this week's episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Please subscribe and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. Still waiting on those recipes. Um, you can follow us on Facebook at all80smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Join us again next week as we discuss the 1987 sci-fi action movie, The Running Man, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Bill, that was fun. Thank you all for listening out there. Good night, world.